0: Let's start with gospel reading today, where Yeshua is healing somebody on the Sabbath. Of course, you've all read this lots of times, and you realize that he sort of goes around poking his finger into the eye of the religious establishment. And the people who are really upset with him are the clerics. And I will use the word clerics. The Torah uses the word the Jews. But that sort of gives the impression that everybody who was Jewish was upset. That's not correct. It's the clerics that are upset. The professional religious people, if you will. So a little later on, we'll read this a time or two from now. He's going to have another conversation with them. And it's down in John 5.45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writing, how will you believe my words? So the conflict here between Yeshua and the clergy is over Moses. I was listening to Ron Dart this week. And he's got a series going right now called The Words of Jesus. Where he was earlier on in the week was on the Sermon on the Mount, and it sort of applies directly to what's going on here. So I'm going to actually spend some time over there and talk about it. He said some things, none of which will surprise any of you, because you've been around here long enough, but he said them in a way that I thought was really very good, and I hadn't quite thought of it that way. The question I would ask, he didn't ask it this way, but I do. What exactly is Yeshua trying to accomplish? What's his goal here? What's he trying to do in the Sermon on the Mount? Now, Yeshua is a prophet. and he comes to Israel as a prophet, And God sends prophets when Israel needs to be jerked up short and gotten back on track. And that's what he tries to do initially the gospel reading is really kind of humorous because here's this guy who has been laying around the pool of Shalom and he can't get up and get in there by himself and as soon as the angel stirs the water somebody else jumps in ahead of him and he never gets healed so Yeshua comes and asks well do you want to be healed and heals him and then says take up your bed and walk and so when the clergy is saying, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing carrying your bed on Shabbat? Nobody says, but wow, you're walking. (laughs) So what are you taking your bed up for? And he says, well, the guy who healed me told me to do it. That's really very humorous because this guy that's been healed is a Jew. He knows the Torah. He knows that you're not supposed to carry a burden on Shabbat and so forth. But this guy who healed me said to do it. And so I'm going to do it. And sort of like, if I don't do it, everything may be reversed. In fact, kind of interesting, I was up in Wyoming this week scouting out a place to hunt. And the guy that owns the ranch is a believer. And we got to talking. And he got some symptoms of COVID. So I prayed for him and told him a little story. Years and years ago, I was working on somebody in the congregation whose back was out and he was sort of laid out flat on the floor and I finally prayed over him, worked on his muscles and so forth and got him up erect and he says, I don't believe it. Boom. Down he goes again. (laughs) It was really funny. I mean, it wasn't funny at the time because he was back on the floor. But the point is this guy's been told, pick up your bed and walk. So he dutifully picks up his bed and walks. And, of course, that's what gets him crosswise with the clergy. So what's Israel trying to do here? The first thing he does is he very publicly keeps poking the clergy. Does it a lot. And he has conflicts over the Shabbat. He has conflicts over all sorts of stuff. Mostly having to do with things that you can do on Shabbat, but lots of other things. So let's go to the Sermon on the Mount, and it's in Matthew 5, and I will read the famous passage that every messianic can quote by heart, which is 517. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And by the way, those of you who have King Jimmy, All is fulfilled, and that's not correct. There are two different Greek words there. One is fulfilled and the other is accomplished, and they're different words. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. As I say, every messianic worth of salt can probably quote that by heart. But there's some things that are interesting here. The first thing is not one jot or tittle or iota or dot will pass away. What he's talking about is what's written. And by the way, in my humble opinion, I think that the concept of the law of Moses is incorrect. It's the law of God spoken by Moses. Moses spoke it to the people. Remember, they... Said, we don't want to listen to God, otherwise we'll die. You go up and find out what he's got to say and come down and tell us, we'll listen to you. So it's the law of God as transmitted and written down by Moses. We, in shorthand, call it the law of Moses. And it's in Scripture that way, too. I'm not saying anything wrong, but understand who wrote it. This is not something that Moses went off on top of a mountain and dreamed up by himself. This is something that Moses went up, got from God, wrote down, and came back down and gave to the people. That's a big deal. And my personal opinion is Yeshua was probably the one he was sitting down with up there as he was taking dictation and writing down the law. So when Yeshua comes and says, Not one jot or tittle or iota or dot is going to pass from the law. What he's saying is, I meant it when I wrote it the first time. It's not changing now. So what has changed? And again, most good messianics know this by heart. What has happened over the centuries is that Israel has made rulings on the law. Now, the Torah is a relatively short book. There is no way in a book the size of the Torah, or in fact, a book the size of the Library of Congress, that you can write down a rule for every possible situation that a person could get into. We are far too creative for that. So what the Torah does is it gives succinctly general principles And what you're supposed to do then is you're supposed to say, all right, I'm in this situation right now. Is there a principle in Torah that applies to this? And if there is, how should I behave? That's the way it's supposed to work. Well, you all know that Moses, for example, would sit down initially from morning till evening, and people would come to him about questions. What do we do about this? And he'd answer the question. And you remember Jethro, his father-in-law, says, man, you're going to burn yourself out. What you need to do is get some subordinate judges, which he does. And so Israel has subordinate judges who will either answer the question themselves or escalate it if they can't figure it out. Perfectly sound system. Well, what's happened over the years, over the centuries, is somebody comes to a rabbi or a judge and says, what do we do about this? And judge makes a ruling and writes it down. Our courts do the same thing, by the way, it's called precedent. And the idea there is you don't want to solve the same problem twice. So if somebody smart has figured out what to do in this situation and wrote it down, if that particular situation shows up again, this is what he said. And you do it. That's how our courts work. Couple of problems with that. Problem number one is sometimes judges make mistakes. They make a wrong ruling. Think Roe versus Wade, for example. We have lots of stupid rulings in our court system, which subordinate courts then slavishly follow. Same thing happens in Judaism. You have these rulings that have been made over the years, some of which are okay, some of which are wrong. And what people tend to do, I know I do it, is they tend to read the Bible looking for loopholes. So the same thing happens with the oral Torah. You go through there and find a loophole that says, well, all right, if I do it this way, I'm not actually violating the statute. But what you're actually doing is you're doing something that isn't right, even though you haven't violated the formal statute. That's what legalism is, by the way is you go through statutes and so forth and you try and figure out, all right, how close can I skate to the edge here without actually getting arrested? That's what legalism is. We all do it. So what's happened over the years is the Jewish establishment, the clergy, has got this body of rulings over time, and those rulings have drifted away from Moses. Now, when Yeshua is standing there talking at the Sermon on the Mount, who's he talking to? Hebrews. He's not standing up in Athens like Paul did. He's not standing up in Rome. He's not standing up in Timbuktu. He's standing up in Israel, which means he's talking to Hebrews. And Hebrews have culturally a mindset that is steeped in this body of law that has grown up over the centuries. It's just like, I don't know if they can do it anymore, but when I was growing up, every school kid could recite George Washington and the cherry tree as an example of honesty, even when it wasn't in your best interest. So the Hebrews there would have been enculturated in all this. And what Yeshua says is, hey, What's grown up over a period of time has drifted away. And there's a couple of key phrases that you'll see throughout the gospel. And again, you've all heard this and can probably recite it by heart. Yeshua says, it is written. Or he says, you have heard that. Those are two key phrases. So when he says, you have heard X, Y, or Z, what he's doing is he's talking about the Oral Torah, which is this code of law that has grown up over the centuries. When he says it is written, he's referring to Moses, the things that were written down from Sinai. So when he's starting here as he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, what he's doing is he's establishing his frame of reference. He's saying, all right, folks, I'm going to talk to you. I am in fact going to teach you on the law and understand that my frame of reference is the written Torah. That is not going to change. I did not come to change anything that Moses wrote down. And in fact, everything Moses wrote down because he did it at my behest is going to be standing until the world passes away. I'm looking around here, and we're all here on a Shabbat. The world hasn't passed away. So that's his baseline as he's standing there, and then he's going to start teaching. And what he's going to do is he's going to say, you have heard X, Y, or Z, but I say. That's going to be the formula. Let me give you an example. Go down to Matthew 5.21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. You shall not murder is Scripture. Whoever murders shall be in danger of judgment is not Scripture. It's nowhere in the Torah. So, first thing is ding, ding, ding. All right, we're talking about murder. 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Racha, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And I'm reading from New King James. English standard is slightly different. I want New King James or King Jimmy. So what are we talking about here? Well, let's go back to the Torah. Does anybody remember the story of Joseph and his brothers? Sure. Joseph, when he was a young inexperienced kid tended to be a bit harsh but the real problem was his father Jacob because what Jacob did is he played such heavy favorites in the family that the rest of the sons focused their frustration and anger on Joseph and they wound up plotting to kill him and it was only the intervention of Reuben and Judah that prevented him from being murdered So what Yeshua is saying here is if you harbor this kind of hatred in your heart for your brother that's the thing that is eventually going to or could eventually lead to actual murder. Now the Torah doesn't say don't do that. It says love God, love your neighbor and again general principles and what Yeshua is saying is if you hate your brother in your heart at some point the opportunity may arise, and you'll actually wind up killing him. That's entirely possible. It's the same thing with the business of if you lust after a woman in your heart. The idea here is if you've got a wandering eye and you start speculating and so forth, at some point an opportunity is going to present itself, and then you're going to wind up committing adultery. So what Yeshua is teaching here is the idea that rather than focus on the specific legal situations which you can always find loopholes for what you want to do is you want to bring the Torah into your heart and understand the principles so that you understand what God has said and under any circumstances you then have a framework for proper behavior as opposed to well this isn't actually illegal so I guess it's okay. When you know in your heart, no, nah, it's not really okay. It just isn't illegal. So what he's doing here is he is trying to bring the Torah into the people's heart, as opposed to this list of do's, don'ts, etc., that has grown up over the years. I'll give you a little story. When we were negotiating to come to this building, we made two attempts to come here. The first attempt was under a previous pastor. And so we sat down with their elders, the elder board and the pastor and so forth in the library there. And we got what I called the Baptist third degree. So, you guys follow the law. Well, we try. Well, do you do this? Well, no. No. Oh, so you don't actually follow the law. And you could feel this sigh of relief throughout the room. At some visceral level, they were afraid that we were actually following the law. And when they found out, there are some things we couldn't do. Like, for example, the law says, don't start a fire on Shabbat, right? Did anybody start his car this morning? And we had four little fires going like that all the way down here for two miles. So I started a fire on Shabbat. And so these good Baptist folks were saying, ah, whew, you're not actually following the law. Let me talk about the Torah then for just a second. What is the purpose of the written Torah? Why did God give it to us? And I think part of the answer to that is because this world is a dangerous place. And so what he did is he gave the people he loved instructions. Poster child for that, by the way, and you've all heard this, is back in Genesis 2. When he puts the man and the woman in the garden, and he tells the man, all right, don't eat that tree, otherwise it'll kill you. Now, one of the things he does not say is don't eat that tree or I will kill you. What he says is if you eat of that tree, you'll die. Not if you eat of that tree, I'll kill you. Big difference. And most of the things in the Torah have to do with if you do this, there are going to be consequences. And you're not going to like the consequences. So that's one purpose of the Torah is help us to navigate through what's really a dangerous place. The second thing is wisdom. So it says in the Torah, don't marry two sisters. That's stupid. And the reason we know it's stupid is we have the story of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. And you can see what a mess that was. Led to all sorts of nasty stuff. So you have this case study in Genesis. And then the rule is, don't marry two sisters. That's just wisdom. Sort of like don't squat with your spurs on. That's wisdom, okay? So there's some of that in the Torah. And then the final thing in the Torah is relationship. And what God tells us in the Torah is how he wants us to relate to him. How he wants us to think about him. How he wants us to focus on him and do things in light of what he would have us to do. Most of what happens in the Torah that's bad are consequences, not punishment. And consequences and punishment are two different things. You can tell. They're spelled differently. When does God punish? Anybody have any idea? What he punishes for are breaches in relationship with him. So when Israel finally goes into adultery, idolatry, same thing from God's point of view, at that point, God starts to actually get personally offended. If you go out and murder somebody, and I recommend you don't, but if you go out and murder somebody, then human courts will take care of you. God doesn't punish you for murder. That's human courts. If you go out and commit adultery, you're liable to have an angry husband come after you with a shotgun. God isn't punishing you, but there are consequences to that kind of behavior. So most of what's going on in the Torah has to do with consequences, not punishment. And as near as I can tell, and somebody may be able to come up with counterexamples, but right offhand, the punishment aspect from God is when you violate your covenant with him. In other words, if you will, commit adultery between yourself and him. And that then winds up leading you into all sorts of other nasty stuff. But when God decides to whistle up a bunch of Assyrians or Babylonians or whatever, it's because of adultery. The rest of the bad stuff that happens is mostly consequences. So what Yeshua is saying, and what I'm telling you, going back to my Baptist example, what has happened in the Sunday church is very much what has happened in Israel at the time of Yeshua. The Sunday church has convinced itself that the Torah can't be followed. And if it can't be followed, and we're just going to rely on grace, then that opens up all sorts of things that, well, the Torah says don't do that, but we can't follow all the Torah, So you wind up with things like bacon breath and and so forth. And by the way, I have no idea what God has against bacon. I, I truly don't. It's one of those things that he says, don't do it. So I don't do it just because I figure he's got my best interest at heart and I got no idea why. There's a lot of laws like that. I don't know why he said that. Some of them are obvious, you know, don't marry two sisters because... That's just going to lead to trouble. I can understand that one. Don't commit adultery. I can understand that one. Don't work. I can understand that one. Don't eat bacon? Okay. You told me not to eat bacon. I won't eat bacon. I don't know why. But I figure that he's got my best interests in heart. So I will do it. Now, one of the things that the Sunday church, God bless them, has got wrong is they don't understand The purpose of the Torah. Because in the New Testament, what happens is it all gets referred to as law. And what Yeshua is doing in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about law is he's talking about this great body of statutes that have grown up in Judaism. Because that's what everybody listening to him thinks of when he says law. If you walk up to a rabbinic Jew today and you talk about the law, they will open up the Talmud and the Mishnah and all that kind of stuff. This is the law. Well, No, it's not. This is human statutes that have grown up over a period of time. So as you're reading the New Testament, it's very hard sometimes to figure out when we're talking about Torah and when we're talking about all the rest of it. Which is why Yeshua uses this code, Fred. You have heard it said, but it is written. And that's the differentiation, at least in Yeshua speak. But coming back to the idea that the Torah is an impossible standard. Let me take you to Deuteronomy 30. And I'll take you down to verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. This is Moses speaking for God. If you go back up a chapter or two, the Lord said to Moses, and then Moses is now repeating it. So these are the words of God, not Moses. So this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you can do it. Now, for all my good Sunday Christian friends, was God lying? Was he telling an untruth when he said it's not too hard? It's a serious question. If the body of Christ has determined that this is too hard to do and nobody can do it and so we're just going to depend on grace and do whatever the heck we want, I'm gently suggesting that they are in error. Because God Himself says, this isn't too hard. You can do it. Now, being human and frail and fallible and self-interested and all those kinds of things... We very frequently run afoul of the Torah. I do. Some of it is deliberate, like when I lit my car off this morning. Yeah, that was deliberate violation of the Torah. And I knew I was doing it. For a long time, I had real trouble lighting the menorah on Shabbat. And if I'd been really smart, I would say, wait a minute, you just drove there. And you're worried about lighting the menorah? That didn't occur to me until much later. I'm not that swift. So the point is, sometimes we violate the Torah on purpose because the situation is such that the Torah doesn't really apply. We couldn't get here, which is also commanded, you know, join together on Shabbat and worship. We couldn't do that without lighting little fires in our car. So which commandment do I follow? And I decided to follow the one to gather with you all. The Torah in life is full of stuff like that. You run into situations where this law says don't do that, but this law says do that. Which one do I do? And the point is, you make a judgment. And if the Torah is internalized, which is to say written on your heart, what you do is you look at your situation and say, okay, I've got a conflict here. I'm the one that's got to make a decision. So what is the best solution here as near as I can tell? And sometimes you'll be right and sometimes you'll be wrong. One hopes that as you study more and learn more about Torah, you'll be right more often than you're wrong. And if it turns out you're wrong, what you do is repent, ask for forgiveness and move on. By the way, that's also in the Torah. That is not a New Testament concept. It is in the Torah. The question was that Jesus changed at all. And remember two weeks ago, I was talking about Shabbat. And what I said was, after the resurrection, Yeshua has demonstrated that he's the Messiah. He locks all his disciples into a room and then just sort of waltzes in there through the wall, right? So no question in anybody's mind that this man has been raised from the dead. No question in anybody's mind that this guy is the Messiah. No question in anybody's mind that this is the Son of God. This guy has authority. So, what he could have said after the resurrection, all right, guys, the Shabbat stuff. I gave you Shabbat. I was there at the creation. I'm the one that rested. I'm the one that gave you the law of Moses, and now I'm going to change it because it's a bigger deal that I have raised from the dead and I have purchased you with my blood that's a far bigger deal than creation we're now going to celebrate the day of my resurrection forget this Sabbath stuff I am firmly convinced that had he wanted to do so he could have done that he had the authority to do that if he had said that I would be standing here on Sunday he did not say that He never changed it. And he says here in Matthew 5, I'm not changing anything. Now, one of the things I will suggest to you is if you read the law of Moses. Anybody read the law of Moses? The law of God written by Moses? Sure. After Exodus 20, where God speaks, we have this whole long section, several chapters of laws. This is what you do if you steal a sheep. This is what you do if you catch somebody stealing a sheep. You have this whole list of laws. God thought that was important. So he wrote it all down immediately after his appearance on the mountain. So, show me where there's a similar section in the New Testament. Show me where Yeshua, or even Paul, or Peter... Or James sat down and wrote a passage that is equivalent to the list of laws in Exodus. You won't find it. What you'll find is little references here, there, and the other place that people have mattered through and said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, this, this. But there isn't any clear statement of changed statutes in the New Testament. Period. and again just as I said he was the Messiah he's the one who rose from the dead he's the son of God he has authority had he wanted to change anything he was with him for 40 days after his resurrection so gather all the disciples into a locked room walk through the wall say alright guys got your quilt pens out start writing this is what the new set of laws is Just like he did after Sinai. Sinai comes down, smokes the mountain, says to Moses, here's the list of stuff I want you to write down. Entirely possible for him to have done exactly the same thing after the resurrection. There was time, 40 days. That, by the way, is as long as Moses was up on the mountain taking dictation. Plenty of time. So... Here's the new set of rules. Bacon's okay. We're not going to do Sabbath anymore. It's going to be Sunday, etc. None of that happened. It is not recorded in the scriptures. So what I'm saying to you is, God bless them, Sunday Christians are every bit as legalistic as the Hebrews were. And what they've done is they've taken the New Testament and they've somehow smoozled it around to make it sound like Moses is done away with. As I'm fond of saying, there's a Hebrew word for that. It's called baloney. Not true. comment was she was having this conversation with her Sunday Bible study friends. Good people. I'm not knocking them. And they're talking about the Sabbath. Jody is saying, Sabbath is Saturday. They say, well, he rose on Sunday, so that's the day now. And Unable to convince her, what the Good Sunday Christians did is threw their hands up and said, Well, it doesn't matter anyway. And that's what the problem, in my humble opinion, is with much of Christendom. Is they look at the Word of God and say, Well, it doesn't really matter anyway. Which is to say, I get to do what I want. Bacon's okay. Don't have to worry about Shabbat. It's all sorts of things in Moses that go away because it doesn't really matter. And what I'm saying to you is that's not true. It does matter. God gave us the Torah because He loves us. He didn't give us the Torah to make us miserable. We do that. We make ourselves miserable. It's not the Torah. He gave it to us because He loves us. And if you look at it that way, as this is something that he gave to the people he loves, then instead of becoming a burden, it becomes something that you really want to study because the one who made you and who loves you gave it to you.